Hey everyone, welcome to the Building a Money Machine podcast. In this podcast, we cover the best and most interesting ideas related to what it takes to build a money machine in today's day and age. Uh, on this guest, as always, we have Pontus, Pontus Lagerberg. He's the CEO and founder of White Swan. And um, we're going to continue on a conversation we started over the last two episodes, trying to understand the differences, what it takes to, to sort of you know build this money machine and, and, and the idea that we were discussing last time, Pontus, was about assets and investments. Now, a lot of people think that they are both the exact same thing. You know, I, I own a house, that's an asset, um, and it's also an investment. And I think it's really important for our listeners here to understand what exactly are the key differences between assets and investments. And you spent a lot of time in your book discussing it. So how do you see the difference being? Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically... At its most basic definition, I would say the difference between an asset and an investment is that an asset is something that is very, very secure and something that with a very high probability of success can provide you with long-term returns. While an investment is something with a higher risk where you're essentially taking the risk of losing money in exchange for a higher potential of returns in the end. And so, the important thing with understanding the difference between assets and investments is that any single portfolio should not only contain investments, nor should it only contain assets. The best uh, setup will always be a mix. Um, and you know, a lot of people misunderstand the difference between assets and investments, and sometimes they think that an investment is actually an asset and the other way around. So just to clarify here, some common examples of assets uh, is stuff like savings accounts, certificates of deposits, government bonds, uh, and potentially higher grade corporate bonds. Um, but then when it comes to investments, uh, we have stuff like real estate, uh, your house, um, we have stocks, um, we have options, futures, uh, cryptocurrencies, um, you name it. And and essentially, you know, in, in the perfect portfolio, what we are hoping to gain from our assets, it's that, it's that really that serenity that comes from knowing that my portfolio will for sure be worth more uh, in a year than it's worth today. Um, so with our assets, we really want to, to achieve that reliable long-term growth. Uh, meanwhile, with our investments, we're looking to make you know, bigger return. So, so really what's important to remember here is that don't get it confused. Don't mistake an asset for an investment. Um, and make sure that you always have enough assets in relationship to your investments. And this can also be customized according to your personal situation. I mean, for example, if you are younger and you're building up a portfolio for retirement, it might make sense to allocate more towards investments. Meanwhile, if you're older and your retirement is coming in a few years, you should really have the majority of your money within assets because if a stock market crash were to come, then you could be losing out on a lot of your retirement funds. So potentially you'll have to delay your retirement. Uh, and this is not a situation that we want to be in. Um, so yeah, in, in broad terms, that's 
That's the difference between assets and investments. So how, I mean, well, thank you for like just clarifying that. But one of the things that you said that interested me is that you called a house, your the house that you live in, as an investment. Now, there's a lot of a lot of uh, varying kind of um, uh, opinions on the house. Is it an asset? Is it an investment? Is it actually a drain on on your capital completely? So how do you how do you view um, real estate um, real estate that you live in and then real estate that is where you don't live in? Yeah. So, firstly, you know it's there's a huge difference between owning a property and renting that out to others versus owning a property and living in it in it yourself. And generally, in the majority of cases living in your own house is actually not an investment at all but rather a liability simply because even though the market value of your house might be going up over time you will have to pay entirely by yourself uh, for all the mortgage payments for all the utilities all the maintenance of the house all of that will be a cost to you and once you do sell that house, even though those house prices might be higher if you wait for long enough, you'll still have to buy another house to live in, meaning that you probably won't be taking home that much profit anyways. Compare that to buying a house that you rent out to others. Now, all of a sudden, every month you're collecting rent, and with these rents, you can service your mortgage, you can pay for all the maintenance and ongoing costs of the house. And at the end of it, you can probably sell that house for a profit. Um, so in, 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 what I meant to illustrate by this example is that in general, a house that you own and live in yourself will not really be an investment at all. That would be a liability, similar to buying a car that you drive where you make car payments every month. You're not making any money of that necessarily. Um, it's something that will take money from you at the end of every month. But owning a house as an investment to rent out to others, um, that can absolutely be considered an investment. But I would say we're taking things one step too far by calling it an asset. And the simple reason why that is so is, is that on the one hand, you know, the prices of real estate is not guaranteed to go up every year. Even though they generally do, uh, they don't always do that, as we saw in 2008, where, where house prices on average in the U.S. dropped by 30 or 40 percent. Those drops in prices may cause a lot of people to have difficulty servicing their loans. Let's say, for example, that you buy a, a house that's worth a million dollars and you take a $900,000 mortgage to buy that house. If all of a sudden the housing market would drop, your house could be worth $600,000 or $700,000, while your mortgage is still at $900,000. This would cause your bank to ask you to post additional collateral or simply sell off the house to be able to pay them back. And you know that's a very unfortunate situation to be in, because if you do have to, to, to sell your house in the middle of the crash, you're going to realize a huge loss and it's not going to look great on your record. So this is actually how a lot of great, once great investors in the real estate industry has lost 
a ton of money and has gone from being a billionaire to be being someone who basically lives on the streets uh, within the matter of a few months. Um, and that's the great danger with, with, with using real estate as an investment class, you know, beyond the pure risk of, of, of fluctuations in the, in the market value of, of, of the real estate. We also have the risk that, you know, what happens if you can't rent your, your, your houses out for a certain month or for a couple of months, um, which, you know, then during those months where you can't rent it out, that, that real estate will become a liability because you will have to pay for all the costs associated with the real estate. And, you know, generally this is, this is hard to avoid, but the risk of actually losing money on, on these down months will be lower uh, when you have more uh, properties or more units to rent out. So in general, it's always better if you want to invest in real estate, it's better to buy two small units than to buy one bigger unit. Um, and at any point where you add on more rental units, you will decrease your risks of uh, vacancies. Um, so yeah, the, the in conclusion, real estate is really um, a two-sided sword. I would say that if you live in it yourself, it's not an investment at all. It's certainly not an asset. It, it's it's a liability. But if you if you buy it to rent it out, it's it's an investment. But it can potentially be a pretty dangerous investment if you don't know what you're doing. So um, yeah. That's uh, that's that's my take on real estate uh, as it pertains to assets and investments. Well, well, th that that's just one element of it. The other, the other, the other element of it that a lot of people ignore is that uh, when they buy a house in order to and they consider it as an investment and they live in it, uh, they are relying on the on the rise in prices. And sure, there might be fluctuations here and there, but hi historical records have shown that real estate has one of the has one of the worst appreciation uh, values out there, uh, barely keeping up with inflation. So you know, if people are, are if people want uh, better than market returns, putting all your money in a house, putting all your money uh, and and just relying that well, the price of the house that I'm living in is going to appreciate, and therefore it's all going to work out in the end, might be a short-sighted strategy. Uh, and there might be better asset classes out there. There might be better investment classes out there that give you a great return uh, in the long run. Of course, if you are looking for more you know, cash flow uh, right here and now, buying an investment property buying that, that you can rent out can be a pretty viable strategy. But it's really about understanding these, these subtleties, these, these distinctions um, that sets you apart from, from someone who's a lot less sophisticated. That, that's absolutely right. And I mean, if you if you look at how banks treat their portfolios as well, banks being famous for uh, generally being institutions that are very risk aware and doing everything to minimize risk, you can see that most banks don't hold any real estate at all on their balance sheet. And if they do, it's a very low percentage, maybe 5%. Um, for banks, it's much more common to focus on investments that have a very, very low risk while still having a fair uh, and good enough return. Uh, we're talking assets like permanent life insurance, uh, whole life insurance, index life insurance. Because um, with these types of assets, what you get is you know, not only um, returns that are basically equivalent to those of real estate, but you get those returns with a minimum guarantee, meaning that if the returns ever were to go 
negative, the company that sold them those policies would have to shut down its doors. Uh, and with most of these companies, they've been able to deliver steady returns since the mid 1800s, uh, you know, going through wars, going through market crashes, going through pandemics. They've always been able to uh, really deliver on their promise. You know, with, with, with whole life insurance, it's generally 4% and that's promised at a minimum every year. Uh, but then above that, they also produce additional dividends, which they have been able to deliver on for literally 150 years. So this, uh, the, these types of asset classes is a great choice for people that are not looking to take a lot of risk, but still wants to be fairly compensated for investing their money somewhere. And that's a point that really surprised me. I was—I remember I was looking at uh, some of the major banks in the, in, the, in the United States and looking at their balance sheets. They have massive, massive, massive kind of stockholds of insurance. And and you're absolutely right. It is a a, a a magnitude larger than any real estate that they hold on their balance sheets. So this really is a hidden asset class. This really is something that so few people understand that life insurance could be a powerful, powerful tool of of very low risk kind of uh, uh, low risk way of of growing your portfolio. And it, it, that's the topic I really want to spend a bit, little bit more time talking about right now. Is can you actually have low risk, high return investments or assets? Because you know, for for all the stuff that I've heard. All the investment advisors, they're all saying that, well, you know, high risk equals higher reward and low risk mm -hmm. equals lower reward. And and yet there are some people who are able to consistently deliver uh, outsized gains, outsized returns with extreme margin of safety with uh, with very low risk. And I'd love to understand kind of how you see this this uh, paradox almost playing out. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely. I mean, what what we could see in general in the financial markets is that definitely, whenever you have high returns, even if you see it or not, there is probably a high risk hiding there somewhere. Um, and as, unless you have a very clever way of managing that risk, you cannot be sure that those returns will hold up in the long run. Um, and even though things might be looking great at the moment, they might not be looking so great if you were to continue doing this exact same strategy over the long run. Let's take an, a casino, for example. You could go in there and you could go to the roulette table and you could win 35 times your money in, in one round in less than one minute. But if you continue doing that same betting, over time, you can be sure that you will be losing money because over time, the casinos have a long-term edge. They have an expected, they have, they have designed the games in such a way that they are expected to win money over the long term. And that's the exact same strategy that you should try to pursue as an investor, to not go to the financial markets as a gambler, playing a game where you can be expected to lose money over the long run, which by the way, a lot of people does, especially in trading. Instead, you should try to go to the financial markets with a strategy to get these consistent and reliable long-term gains. And the way that you get these long-term gains, it's not by following the mainstream strategies such as index investing or stock picking 
or even value investing. The, 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 the way that you get these types of results is by getting involved with more complex financial uh, contracts, such as whole life insurance, index life insurance, uh, or structured notes, um, where you generally have the structure of a minimum guaranteed return. Uh, with this minimum guaranteed return, you know that you will never ever lose money on a certain investment, but that you only stand to gain money. Um, and you know, only by going to that level of sophistication can you really uh, be expecting to have high returns without having a high risk. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that it's definitely possible to find these gems with a high return and a low risk. But in general, a lot of the stuff that 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 we see in the markets today, stuff like cryptocurrencies um, and and similar investments, are stuff where you can have a high return, but there's also a huge risk to it. And in many cases, you know, a a very risk-aware investor would question themselves whether the risk is really worth the returns. Um, but 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 yeah. So that that that's my take on um, on the risk return factor. I think that's a really important point because um, sometimes there's just so much uh, uh, hysteria. There's so much enthusiasm about a particular new asset class, and then everyone starts saying, "Well, well, this time it's different. This time um, the picture is completely different than it's ever been. This is only going to go up." And, and we see that with these. Uh, I believe they're called NFT tokens. Um, mm -hmm. Where, where people are, are exuberant about buying these things. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars in, in buying these, these digital assets that tomorrow might completely drop in value. They, they actually have, in some, in some cases, almost no underlying value. I think Jack Dorsey uh, is, is selling his, the first tweet made on Twitter. And, and he's selling it for a, a, a seven or eight figure amount. And you really have to, try and think that well what exactly is that what does ownership of the first tweet on twitter actually actually give you um versus something like whole life insurance where these life insurance companies are investing and they're they're putting their money in these um well actually that that's a question worth asking what are life insurance companies uh, investing in that they're able to get such stable predictable returns year over year for you know more than a century yeah that's a that's a very very good question um basically when it comes to life insurance investments um the umbrella term that you can use for all these products is permanent life insurance but within permanent life insurance there's sort of three different camps of products on the first time we have whole life insurance which is basically the savings product of the industry and so with whole life insurance, you have a minimum guaranteed, uh, minimum guaranteed return of 4%. Secondly, we have indexed life insurance, uh, which is kind of like the, the investment product um, with, with risk protection of the industry. And with indexed life insurance, you generally have a minimum guarantee of 0 to 2%. Um, and then we have the third category, uh, which is called variable life insurance and with variable life insurance that's that's basically like owning a mutual fund through a life insurance 
packaging. So with these products, you don't have that downside protection, which is the point that we want to focus on uh, in this talk. Um, so, so basically, we can focus on the difference in how whole life insurance policies make money and how index life insurances make money. And when it comes to whole life products, what happens when you buy a whole life product is basically that you are investing in the life insurance company itself. And these are generally sold by what's called mutual life insurance companies, which means that these companies do not have any shareholders. They don't have any people owning that company via shares, but the people that actually own that company are its customers and they buy a part of that company through their premiums. And so the way that these companies make money is in two ways. Uh, number one is that they have mathematicians and statisticians who sit every day and do calculations on their customers to try to estimate when will this person be likely to die or when will this pool of people be likely to die. And then they try to set the premiums in such a way that they know that they will take in more money in premiums every year than they pay out uh, when someone dies. And through doing this, if they price everything right, they will get a profit that's called the underwriting profit. But that's only one component of how a life insurance company makes profit. The, the second component is uh, through managing the money that they have uh, within their accounts before they are actually paid out in claims. And the way that life insurance companies invest this money uh, is generally through very low risk um, things uh, such as bonds um, and uh, in some cases commercial real estate and that's really how they are able to deliver these very very secure returns on the savings products uh, but then when it comes to the investment products where they get a return that's associated with a certain stock index um, the way that it works there is generally that they would have a part of the money in bonds, just as the whole life insurance would. But then they would actually take the dividends that they're getting from, from those bonds, and they would use those dividends to buy call options on the stock indexes. And the way that call options work, for those of you that don't know that, is basically that a call option would say that any time that the price goes above this uh, specific strike strike price. Let, let's say, for example, that the the stock market is today worth a hundred dollars, and you you buy a call option that's worth uh, that has a strike price of a hundred dollars. What would happen then is that anytime the stock market goes above a hundred dollars, you would get a gain, and anytime it goes below a hundred dollars, you would not lose more than you've put in to buy the contract. So by combining bonds with these call options, life insurance companies are uh, companies are able to let their clients get a return when the markets go up, but not lose anything when the markets go down. And um, and yeah, that's that's really the, the magic behind it. And of course, I mean, anyone could do this by themselves, but by doing by doing this by themselves, not only would they have to learn an enormous amount on how to structure complex financial portfolios, but they would also have to pay taxes on all the gains that they get through through the strategy. So that's the that's the other big advantage of investing through these life insurance policies is that none of these gains are taxable. 
um, which is just very, very unique. And it's something that allows you to achieve much high returns if you compare to an account where you would have to tax for all the re returns. So, so yeah, that's basically how it works. That is that is fascinating, and I think we'll have to do one of these episodes just pulling apart everything that makes life insurance, whole life insurance, permanent life insurance, index, variable. You know what 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 makes it all work? Addressing some of the misconceptions, some of the myths, um, that sort of thing. But you know, well, as we talk about assets and investments. I guess the last question I have for you today is, you know, what is the end game here? What should a, you know, what should a person be aiming for in building a money machine through these assets and investments? Yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, this this depends on, you know, what your dream is, uh, for sure. But what what you could say, what all people have in common is that one day you will be too old and too tired to work. Um, and potentially before that day, you want to just enjoy life um, without having to work. And so at, at this point, where, whenever that might be, um, you want to make sure that you have a portfolio that can fund your lifestyle, that can pay, pay for your life without you working. And this portfolio should most likely be built up mainly out of assets because that's if 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 you don't want to really spend any time in managing these portfolios and you want to be truly uh, independent and do whatever you want with your time then an asset will always be a better choice than an investment because basically investments with investments you will get your returns from being smart in how you handle that investment and if you handle that investment in a less than smart way, there's a, a risk that you'll lose money. And you know, if you don't have the time or you don't want to put the time towards managing an investment portfolio, it's better to have that money in assets. Um, but then, of course, if you want to, if you want to get to that point where you have enough assets to retire quickly, um, let's say me, for example, I would like to retire when I'm 35. Let's say to get to that point quicker. What you want to focus on is more investments at an early stage because with investments if you handle them in the right way you can get these really really big returns and once you've had those big returns you could convert those into assets and you could start you know living life financially independent um but yeah in in, in general i mean what it's all about is, is is building up a portfolio that can generate you with with regular income that you can use to live your life without having to work. Um, and yeah, that's that's the whole point behind it. That's, yeah, and, and I think that's a great answer. And I, and I think uh, as someone who is in his early 30s himself, uh, leaning towards the more investment heavy type of portfolio is what I'm trying to build up myself. So. Uh, another wonderful, wonderful talk, Pontus. I think we're going to carry this on in the upcoming weeks. Uh, if you want to know, if you have a topic in mind, if you have questions, feel free to send us an email at uh, 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 info at whiteswan.io. We'd love to hear from you, or you can send it at hello at whiteswan.io. We'd love to hear from you. Keep sending us those questions. This episode has been sponsored by whiteswan.io, uh, America's first and only uh, permanent index and term life insurance marketplace. 
If you want to get started, please go on whiteswan.io and you can get more than 480,000 or 460,000 plus life insurance policies that you can access right away by yourself. So check like out whiteswan.io. 570,000 uh, different policies that we offer right now. Um, oh, but okay. you're absolutely right at all. <laughs> 570,000, there you go. Uh, straight from straight from the founder of the company uh, himself. So check out whiteswan.io and we will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you.